calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E.com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. It's funny because we're talking about French cinema today, and actually next time too. I just got two box sets, relatively cheap, of Serge Gainsbourg. There's actually one that's all just film score stuff. I mean, it's not entirely comprehensive, but you get at least three or four songs from every soundtrack he did. And then there's another one that's like 12 out of, I think he actually did like 13 albums, and they just dropped the one that was, I think it was like, you know, Rockin' in the Bunker or something about all like World War II or whatever the hell. Pretty damn cheap. I mean, the one set was like 14 bucks. So I'm like, all right. If you're interested, I, yeah, it's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have somewhere around here. Three CD compilation of a bunch of his stuff. And, you know, for a long time, I put off listening to his reggae phase. He did right. a couple albums with that. And I actually kind of like them. It's, it's not bad, yeah. Oh, I not mean, bad. And what's strange about him is he's so diverse. I actually enjoy his early stuff where he's more jazzy and, you mm. know, like around the time he's doing striptease and all that. And then jump ahead to where he's doing the reggae stuff and then the, that sort of sleazy, uh, erotic cabaret kind of thing he was doing towards the end of his life. You know, everything from the Emmanuel right. films on. But the middle stuff is like, eh, I can take it or leave it. <laughs> so, anyway. All right. All right, let's go. So, good evening, and welcome to the, oh, geez, I think this is the fifth episode of the fifth season of Weird Seas Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we continue to dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. Tonight, uh, a Russian pole cabaret singer and contemporary and collaborator of Edith Piaf, Eddie Constantine made his fame in the Bohemian Left Bank of Paris, first as a proto-Serge Gainsbourg chanteur, but more famously as the unlikely star of a long-running series of generally hard-boiled neo-noir, but just as often self-mocking and comedically-oriented crime pictures. Much beloved, often imitated, but never paralleled, Constantine would appear in films by the likes of Jean-Luc Godard and Jesus Franco, appearing in contemporaneous and parallel series as long-running detective novel standby Nick Carter, and his own Lemmy Caution, as well as any number of similarly-minded, more or less one-off roles to which he brought simultaneous good humor, a hard-luck tough guy noir ethnos, likability, and gravitas. So join us tonight as we celebrate one of the greats of French cinema, the inimitable Eddie Constantine. Like I said, I'm Doc Savage, with me is Mr. Lewis Paul, as I had mentioned about Mr. Serge Gainsbourg. So tonight we're talking about somebody that is, in a way, similar. A fellow who was 
first known as sort of a jazz singer, not a composer really, but he did collaborate with EFP off, as I mentioned, and sort of sideways stepped into films and became better known to the rest of the world now as a film star with his own quirky series of, again, like Gainsbourg, mostly just French films. It became a huge thing over there and gained some worldwide appeal as well in the meantime, to a lesser degree, but people do know him, especially for his film with Jean-Luc Godard, which we'll get to later. So um, is there anything you wanted to break out about Eddie Constantine's? I know you're big on the yeah. research end. Yeah, I actually, years ago, when I was publishing Blood Times, I, I did a really large article on Eddie. I was talking about pre what we know now, you know, with the internet, uh, as far as information goes. So I really worked hard on this. I actually research, you know, reference book materials, you know, German, French, and this was published in the issue of Blood Times, of which, sadly, I don't have a copy of anymore. So for you people out there who have an issue of Blood Times featuring a Constantine article, consider yourself very lucky. It's a rarity. (laughs) Yeah, it happens when you publish some things over the years, you know, and then you realize oh, I only have a few left, and I don't have this issue. So I, I suppose if I scour my friends, they'll probably send me one, and then I can copy it and send it back. I found some stuff I published on, wait for it, Angel Fire. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's digging back. It's digging back. Uh, Angel Fire was one of those hosting sites, and I, I found some stuff. I had, In my hopes of finding, maybe I wrote it and put it up on Angel Fire, but not Eddie. It's an Any, early, early hosting service. It's kind of like Hotbot or <laughs> Lycos when that was a big thing. Right, but it's still up. But not all my stuff I've been able to find. It took me forever. And my, I was really trying to find this. But in any case, I, I do recall a lot of what I wrote. So, Eddie Constantine, whose real name is, are you ready? Israel, mm-hmm. or Israel, was uh, born in L.A. And... Is that actually, I mean, it's something we probably both found. I think that might be just one of the possibilities. I had found some other information, but I really can't recall where. Whether he was actually born in L.A. or New York or whatever. Jewish immigrant parents, Russian father, Polish mom, you know, Mm -hmm. he's a real. So the guy's a singer. Craggy face. Now, okay, why are we talking about Eddie Constantine? If you fan of films from the 40s, the 30s, the 50s, that whole what's considered noir t- today, gangsters, Bogart, mm-hmm. uh, Cagney, these are not pretty guys. I mean, the list goes on, and I'm sure you could throw out tons of names. Um, Eddie Constantine, a little later, he's starting out, craggy-faced guy, real, you know, he looked like a cop, he looked like a, a hood. You know, what a, he looked dapper. The man really knew how to dress up. The hat, you know, the trench coat. But he was a singer. And it's funny. You look at him, and you say, no. I know Eddie Constantine from all these movies, but the man was a singer. And yep. tried to get it going over here, and it wasn't really working for him. So he goes over to Europe, and he started singing in cabarets. He recorded quite a few albums. Yes. This was his career. He was associated with Edith Piaf, true. There was some things I had read that he may have been her lover. But they were very, very close. Yes. Uh, yeah, he co-wrote t- a couple songs for her, too, didn't he? He did, he did, of all things, right? Yeah. Uh, Him to Love, I Don't Want to Murder the French version. Uh, 
uh, translation of that. But that, that was that was a big one for them. Uh, it's one of her most famous songs. And, you know, you know more. <laughs> Thank, yeah, that's it's, it's, that's murdering it too. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're much better with German army. Yeah. Uh, so you know he's he's doing this thing. Bernard Bordery was a uh, a French. Well, he was sort of like uh, he was he was a wealthy guy at the time, late forties, early fifties. Had a hand in a lot of pockets, sort of like Berlusconi mm-hmm. Slater. Yeah, we he hobnobbed with the rich and famous, art galleries, that kind of thing. So he enters into this film business. And so Eddie is like doing bit parts in movies. He's trying to get it in. We're talking like 52, 53. So Bordery, they hooked up and he, you know, it's like, whoa, we have this movie series and you sort of look like the character in the books. They, we, we bought the rights to these Peter Cheney novels about Lemmy Caution. You know, hard, hard-boiled detective slash whatever. Think of more like the Simon Templar vein, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, but you can also throw in a little bit of like a Mike Hammer sort of a vibe too. Thank you, Mike Hammer. He's okay. down on his yeah. luck a lot. You know, typical noir. Yeah, yeah. And and so uh, Poison Ivy, the American title of Le Mans Vert de Gris, nineteen fifty-three. That was the first one. And he was already like uh, what, 36 when he did this movie. I mean, he looks a lot older because of that cragginess and that lived-in face that he had. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that's a pretty late start to get a career going. And this is just the debut. By the time he's doing things like Alphaville, he's in his mid-40s. You know, this this is not like a young man starting out. This is kind of, all right, he's already pushing middle age by the time his first movie comes out. True. But the funny thing about Eddie, uh, and I think we're probably going to go in and out with this as we talk about the high points, because he, he really worked a lot. The funny thing was, yes, as we just said, you know, he's, let's say, middle-aged, and he's got a particular look. But the guy had energy. Oh, yeah. The guy the guy had energy. He did a lot. Of, you know, I, I'm sure at this period of time, probably wasn't stunt double too much, so he's throwing shit around, throwing chairs, throwing people. And he could take a good beating, too. You know, more often than not, you got beat rather than, you know... You mentioned before about the Bogart Association, which is good. That, that's actually a good parallel. But Bogart was always kind of lackadaisical and laid back. He he acted his age, if you will. Whereas, you know, Lemmy Caution or any of the other characters he played, Nick Carter, whoever, he's out there, like you said. It's almost like, not as crazy as George Nader doing the uh, Jerry Cotton films, mm. but he's throwing punches. He's jumping all over the damn place. He's getting, like you said, he's getting laid out constantly. Uh, but it's very physical. It's it's much more so than even not even contemporaneous, but things like oh, you're getting over here when uh, Darren McGavin was doing the My Camera series. Right, it's it's right. not like that. It's much more physical. And Eddie got laid a lot in these movies. Yes, <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Yo, okay, we got we got that thing. Yo, he he gets the girl, or or. I, but the other thing was, all jokes aside, he was in a lot of these movies too. He was the protector. There, there was one movie that's quite good. Uh, I think one of its titles, uh, English titles, was The Man and the Girl. He helps, he, he tries to protect a small uh, young teenage woman, mm. teenage girl. There's a, lo- a lot of times it's just the actress is too young. So, you know, it's just not going to work. So Eddie becomes the protector, you know, protecting the girls from the mobs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, being French, there's a lot of... Uh, crossover in a way of uh, feeling with the German Jerry Cotton type pictures in a yes. way because you know uh, 
we all discussed a lot of stuff about George. You know, Eddie was not that way, but you know, I, I, I there are some films where realizing Eddie's older and the the starlet is of a certain age, we, we we're pushing it if we we have them hook up in a particular way. Yeah. But uh, I I always enjoyed the hell out of uh, Eddie Constantine pictures, uh, and a lot I love too that he dubbed. Even the early pictures, a lot of them, he, he dubbed them uh, into English in his own voice, which is yes. great. And you can also point out that, I forgot we'd even done some of these shows going back, uh, we had done a couple of shows on French cinema, one being on French cult cinema, where we were talking about the films of Max Picus, and we mentioned uh, Striptease, you know, the one that Serge Gainsbourg and Nico were in. There's a lot of that, and the Bardot films, the same thing, some of those earlier ones where it was more, well, somebody like the protagonist that wasn't Bardot herself was a news reporter, or, you know, there was a sort of a crime vibe to it, uh, something like, you know, the Bijoutier, Claire de Lune, The Night Heaven Fell, things like that, where you've got a very similar vibe to this, where not only is it, okay, you don't get quite as much of the sadism as you do with Picus, because some of those films are really out there, but nonetheless, it's in there, just like we mentioned with the Cotton films. You've got this almost hard noir sort of thing going on, but at the same time, it's lightened up by a lot of weird comedy, some of which works, some of which doesn't, but it's never as... I find American cinema, and especially American television of that era, very cloying and safe. And it's almost like Hallmark crowd, you know, geared to middle America, the Bible Belt. And you watch stuff from Europe at the same time, or even earlier, you know, going back into the 50s or whatever. And it's a lot, I don't say harder edge, I don't want to give people the wrong impression. It's not like, oh, they're watching a Fulci film or a Tarantino film or something, no. Mm -hmm. But compared to what was going on elsewhere... It's definitely, number one, edgier, and number two, like you mentioned, it's kind of crossing genres. You've got a little bit of the German, you know, creamy feel. You've got a little bit of the Euro spy feel, even before Bond came around, because Bond was, what was that, 1962, or when uh, Dr. No came out? For the film, yeah, 60, 60 actually, Dr. 60, no. okay, so just barely beating it. But even so, you know, you've got those kind of things bleeding just a little bit. You've got this whole, like we mentioned about my camera, that kind of thing bleeding into it. And then you've got this weird comedy. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just kind of this whole laid back and, you know, that supposed Latin love, even though I think they're kind of dry for that, more intellectual about mm. sex and things like that. But that mm. sort of French feel to it, very much so, that makes them special. And it kind of, while you can see parallels to other directors in this genre or other genres that we have mentioned, they're still kind of a, of a class by themselves. Like them or hate them, they're very different. And I think there's more to them that'll keep you coming back. True, true. And um, another thing is, uh, Eddie also comes across as a, a Dick Tracy type. You know, he's not yes. always playing cops. Very seldom, if ever, did he play policemen. But, you know, he, he, he was fond of, and he stuck to it, even beyond the Lemmy Caution films. When he did Nick Carter, or he was playing uh, something else, some other kind of character. He was a G-Man a couple of times. He was a G-Man a couple of times, yeah. But he did this thing where he had the black fedora, mm -hmm. which he rocked, and he rocked the, he rocked the beige trench coat. Yo, he, <laughs> he really got away with that, yo. Yep. Uh, cigarette smoker, yo. Man could smoke, and uh, he looked good doing it, yo. You know what's uh, interesting about him as opposed yes. to some of these other guys that were similar? Even with Bond, okay, he would make a joke when he was tied up by, you know, or Goldfinger or whoever. But, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, Jerry Cotton, he might give him some sass or whatever. 
But Eddie almost seemed to be laughing through the whole thing. Like, you would beat the crap out of him. He'd be sitting there with, like, blood coming down his lip and his eye closed and whatever the hell else. And he'd be like, yeah, okay, well, I'll wait till I get my hands free, buddy. <laughs> so there's a yeah. real, the, the tough guy vibe really came across more than just about anybody you can think of, especially contemporaneous similar things. Oh, yeah, true, true. And and he did so well with these, uh, this first Let Me Caution thing. That it was immediately followed with another one. The, this man is dangerous, along the same kind of thing. It was to the point where, from '53 to 1960, thereabouts, Eddie Constantine may have made about 20 movies. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. Um, and another another thing he was probably fond of doing for whatever reason, he liked to play the everyman. By that, there were more than than two or three films where he was a hard drinking or coming off the cusp of being a hard drinker seaman. He was like a guy with a small boat not a rowboat folks but you know a small a small <laughs> ship a uh, or you know uh, a small merchant marine vessel and he would get into thing you know he's always in these pictures he's always like on the edge of I'm broke and I don't want to be broke anymore sort of story of my life and <laughs> And he, yeah, he ends up with gun run, uh, gun smuggling, booze smuggling, which is you know still going on, I guess, and girl smuggling, and you know Eddie, despite his his character's straits that he's in, has a heart of gold. Yeah. You know? There's a parallel to another short-lived series that I think was really supposed to be a TV pilot. They made six episodes, didn't know what the hell to do with them, couldn't sell them, that Robert Lippert put out. You know, if you've ever seen Lippert Productions, did a lot of films back in the late 40s, early 50s. And I think VCI put a bunch of them out in these forgotten noir sets. A little misleading because they're not quite noir, but you get the idea. And I think it had... Donald O'Brien, somebody is in these films that's in all of them, and basically they take these six episodes, edit them into three pictures, and it's the same idea. He's supposed to be uh, a down-on-his-luck guy that charters a boat, and he's got like a drunken companion, this professor type that's, he, he plies him with liquor and it's like his informant. But every time he is supposed to, be, he gets kind of drawn in by somebody that comes by, usually doesn't even want to rent his damn boat, and says, okay, you know, I got this problem, can you help me out, I'll give you whatever it is, like 200 bucks. And of course, he ends up way in over his head dealing with mobsters or whatever the hell else. Same idea as to what you're talking about, because Eddie did get, as you mentioned, there's a few of those like that. Maybe There Goes Barter, I forget. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. get to them as we go along, but... Uh, definitely same again you're talking about a semi-noir if not noir ethos there where you know this is what happens when you're down in your luck and kind of living on the fringes of society sometimes you get drawn into this crap but go ahead with your thought I'm sorry to... I I completely forgot but <laughs> I think Hot Hot Money Girl might have been one of those uh, uh, also called The Treasure of Santa Teresa oh by the way here's an aside uh, I should have mentioned this earlier Mike Rainey something weird uh, video the late Mike Rainey was these things made played on TV? I don't recall. I'm sure they may have occasionally, but Mike Rainey had back in the day uh, hit a uh, film vault or a warehouse, and he contacted me. And he said, "Louis, I found a lot of these mm-hmm. French crime movies. You know, I want to put these out. Can I send you a batch? Review, review them. Send me the reviews. Keep the movies. Uh, I want to put them out on uh, VHS." for something weird video and so I got like a big box of like 100 movies or something I don't know it was, 
you know, some of them didn't even have cases. You know, they're just a bunch of VHS because he, he got the film, the 16s, and he transferred them to, to video. And uh, it was like, what is this? Eddie Constantine, you know, and, and a lot of these came out originally through something weird, uh, yeah. as if it were raining, your turn darling, mm-hmm. license to kill. And it was just such a pleasure. Thank you, Mike, because uh, I know SWB Streamline what they can offer now I'm, I'm not quite sure I, I don't know the particulars of that so a lot of the things they used to have those kind of movies I don't think they, they deal with them anymore but uh, yeah I, it was uh, it's hard to say what they have and what they don't I know that two things happened because I had contact with them right around the time that they were getting rid of their Coffin Joe license whatever mm-hmm. happened there and then later on, I know that they were, gave uh, Harry Novak's widow back the rights to all his films. Uh, but Or maybe it was Friedman, one of those two. But uh, I think it was Novak, though. Otherwise, who knows what's going on there. But at least at the point of whatever it was when I got into these Let Me Caution films, or Eddie Constantine per se, uh, I was able to get a good uh, portion of them from them. So many of the films that I have notes for here, that's where they're from. So you mm. may want to give them a look, see if they still have any. Uh, otherwise, I'm sure they're out there, at least in gray market or streaming or something. Uh, right, right. And, sin- and Sinister, Sinister Cinema, another one, too. That's another one, yes, you're right. There's another place I was able to get those. So they're not yeah. impossible to get. So, all right, unless you got anything basic to say about Eddie and his career, I, I have, like I said, several films I have like little notes for, and we can go back and forth on those. Oh, yeah, let's do that, because uh, I think it's the best way to do it, because, uh, as I mentioned before, he did a lot of movies, yeah. and some of them are a bit samey, not saying that they all are uh, so similar they're not worthy to see, no, it's not the case at all. It's just that the, because the kind of show we're doing, there will be such a similarity. So I guess we cherry-pick. So go ahead. All right. So uh, the first one that he did is Let Me Caution, which I believe is actually the second film he ever did, was, you had mentioned earlier, uh, Le Monde Verdegris, which is uh, Poison Ivy. As you mentioned, uh, Bernard Baudry did this one. He did a couple with him. So I said, Howard Vernon with Boris Karloff Frankenstein eyebrows and a rather scary drag queen with a Veronica-like haircut. And let me caution is hot for it. Or her, H-I-R. <laughs> Best scene. Vernon and his thugs catch caution and make fun of his name. They literally say out his full name like Lemuel J. Caution, then spend the next three to five minutes laughing at him while he stands there looking lost. It's really not bad at all. So <laughs> that was my take. Uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's... It's got a little bit of that early 50s grit in it, and it's uh, also got a bit of that Euro flavor, like you mentioned Max Picas earlier, and that whole striptease thing. That veneer hangs hangs around the frame of this of every scene in a way. It, this is, you know, the French striptease era, crime, different from the, the Edgar Wallace, different from the Jerry Cotton mm. But it's it's in that same milieu. It's in that same ballpark. Yeah, artist palette, shall we say? You know, it's this is this is why we discuss these European genre films so much because very few people do. And not knocking anyone at all. I mean, because I do like them. Yeah, you know, but the Friday the Thirteenth and the uh, oh yeah, I love those. But you know, talks about them. Yeah. yeah, just to generally throw out things that there are shows that that cover that kind of stuff. But we tend to cover the esoteric, the odd, the unusual, <laughs> the porn. Uh, <laughs> but, no, that was, that was just a jokey aside. The more global no, no, European, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we we try to be serious about what we do, although, you know, tongue-in-cheek sometimes, because you have to and, uh, yeah. be the subject of some of our stuff. But I, I like this film. Yeah, and actually, uh, the way I had a shorthand back when I did this was anything that I really liked, I actually bolded, and this was one of those. So, mm-hmm. good film. So, next up, actually in the same year, in 1953, he does one for Jean Sasha, uh, where again, he's, let me caution, which is, uh, C'est homme dangereux, that this man is dangerous. I was never able to get my hands on a copy of this because the one that's floating around out there was too pricey for my days. I keep waiting for it to drop. But uh, did you obviously saw it? So do you want to say anything about that one? Or? Oh yeah, it's it's highly enjoyable. It's 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 at this point that and and with Dames Get Along, which also I saw, which is uh, mm-hmm. the next picture from '54. Yep. That they they obviously decided this is the template that we're going to do here. You know, uh, you got bad guys. Uh, he's going to show up as Lemmy. He's going to have a couple of sides, smoke two pack of cigarettes. <laughs> if not more. If not more, you know, get hit, get bloodied slightly. Usually he's really good at getting bloody at the lip. You know, yep. he got a big, a big fight. He's like, that was the thing. Let some blood trickle down your, your cheek there and then kick the shit out of these guys. It doesn't stand out as much as Poison Ivy, but this man is dangerous. I, I found it to be quite fun. Uh, Lemmy is actually uh, here's another thing. It's very confusing, and it, again with the George and Jerry Cotton, there are a couple of these movies where we're introduced to Eddie in the film, where he's playing another the character, like a newspaperman or something, and sort of like the, the Simon, uh, Roger Moore Simon Templar Saint movies or TV shows. Halfway through the movie, it's really let me caution. And, yep. you know, it's, he's doing a Clark Kent thing. Like, he, he was undercover to do uh, infiltrate, like, a mob or something. And so we're thinking, oh, it's not let me caution. Maybe it's, uh, you know, Ernest Schwartz or whatever. And, and then, like, halfway through the, you know, 45 minutes into the 80-minute film, it's, I'm let me caution. You know, it's like, wow, okay. Oh. Yeah, he did this a lot. And I... I'm puzzled <laughs> why they would they would do something like this two or three movies into a series when you know people are still doing their feelers, you know. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned about his bloody lip thing. I was like, right away, I'm thinking about him clearing a room. I don't know if it was Poison Ivy or some of the others, but I know there was one that had a, a nightclub, an outdoor cafe that was sort of set off on a cliff, and he's out there in this outdoor portion. There's like two levels, throwing people off the top railing onto the lower deck. Throwing tables around, you know, everybody's sitting there eating dinner or whatever the hell, having drinks, and all of a sudden there's this massive fight with basically him against who knows how many people, and you know he always clears house. So, well, was, yeah, and that's I, I hate to interrupt, but yeah, something that just jumped into my mind. You, know, you think about those cereals, the U.S. cereals, the American yes. cereals, where you had an army of stunt guys, and you know this was their livelihood, and they were throwing themselves around and all kinds of stuff. You know, I. I don't even want to put out the names of some of these serials, but there was a lot of action in there, and this was like their version, except that the Europeans said, we don't need no stinking stuntmen, you know? <laughs> Throw yourself off that reeling. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> give me another job. slug, you know? Like, uh, give, me, give me some more of that jack. All right, let's go. Let's go. And there were, you actually read some of these stories from people like that, and they do do that. It's like, yeah, give me another drink. Okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. So, um, 
Next up, uh, another Bernard Bordery, which was uh, Dames Don't Care. We got it over here as Les Femmes Sans Balancent. Let me question a story that plays out like a 40s film noir, except that it's easily predictable and focuses more on his hard-scrabble tough guy, G-Man Charm, than any mystery or sense of being trapped by femme fatales he encounters. I didn't think it was a great one. It's okay. Certainly, all of these films are watchable, at least. But it was kind of a, you know, work-a-day. And the fact that he did three Lemmy Cautions in a row is probably why he doesn't do one for a little bit now. Oh, no, I agree with you, and um, it's hard to get too specific about this particular one, and it's a good point. Yeah, they just gave it like a year or two before they did another limit caution, then another one. And But um, there's a movie called There Goes Border. I don't yes. know if you wanted to cover that one. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, let's go into that one because I have something interesting to say about that. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, this is actually a year or so later. He did a couple films in between. And here he's playing uh, basically one of his one-off characters, Johnny Jordan. It's directed by a guy named John Barry, who he did a couple of films with now. Sava Bardet, which is obviously There Goes Barter. Uh, Eddie, this is one of the bolded ones, so it's a good one. Eddie's a dock worker named Jerry Jordan who comes to the rescue of an obese and sort of gay, because they got a bathtub flirting scene there that's just disgusting, uh, a shipping magnet. This lands him a job ensuring that this guy's gun-running operation for South American revolutionaries doesn't get hijacked. He has a dumpy Spanish sidekick who looks like Luke Costello with a bad mustache and meets a knife-thrower baddie who looks like Liberace with a skunk streak in his helmet-head hair. Eddie gets to waterboard Arnold Stang with a crane, and there's a weird running gag where he keeps ruining various guys' suits. Of course, there's a half-assed love interest who looks like Elizabeth Scott, a lot of nightclub sequences, and plenty of 40s-style Latin flavor. He visits an old West-style saloon with ugly hookers, and even a drag queen, hello, Thaler, and picks a fight between a bunch of U.S. Navy men and some fat bouncer that looks like a cross between Curly Howard and Bluto, and about an hour into the film, an absolute stunner cameos as Blubberbutt's personal cook, the second of two film in that particular job. It's very film noir and feel with nice cinematography, lots of shadows, and some gorgeous, extremely aesthetic homes and sets. Yeah, I really like this film. And and this is uh, another one of those, I mentioned Eddie as a sea captain or a uh, merchant marine. He also was sort of like nebulous mercenary character in some of these movies. Like mm-hmm. He was sort of like, I don't know, the, the urban man with no name, you know, mm-hmm. like, like Clint Eastwood's character. It's like Eddie would be Again, I hate repeating myself when I say every man. Every Eddie was really good at this kind of thing. Where you know, okay, we're not going to do too many of these limit questions. I, so, you know, we're going to burn it out. But uh, you know, Eddie was really good as a mercenary everyman, man with no name. Of course, his character had a name, but he's like sort of like a drifter. He yeah. can do anything, any job. And so in this case, as you described, he's he's doing this character's particular job. And I like this movie because we have a, it's almost like a cake. We have a sprinkling of this. We have a sprinkling of that. We have a sprinkling of that. And it's true. Yeah, it's good that you picked up the actress who resembled Elizabeth Scott because she certainly does. <laughs> so next up, he did one that, unfortunately, I've only seen in trailers, and the trailers look good, which is just we don't sentimental headlines of destruction. It's another John Barry, and he plays somebody named Barney Morgan. He's actually a reporter in this one, but that's all I can tell from the trailer. So if anybody's got it out there, give us a heads up, because I would like to see this one. So how about you? Did you see that one? Or? No, no, I haven't. I haven't seen that one at Maybe all. it's lost. Who knows? So then he does another one, uh, Vupi Gay, Diamond Machine. Again, Pierre Chevalier, he's a Lemmy Caution film. I've not seen this one. He does about six more films that I have not seen, where he's playing various characters throughout the next year or so. 
And then he does the big bluff, uh, mm. the Grand Bluff. Before yeah. we got to that one was the one I mentioned earlier, Man and Child. Okay. Where, uh, which I did see, folks. Uh, 1956. Raul Enfant, Raul Andre. Yeah, Raul Andre, who worked a lot. He did quite a good, good couple of movies I liked over the years. Different people. Uh, he was a workmanlike director, but he had a, a bit of a style. I like this movie because this is one of those films I mentioned earlier where Eddie becomes the protector of, of this woman. You know, remember, Europe is still post-war, so there's a lot of this stuff going on there. Not like the the terrible schmaltzy movie, Dandy, about the Marines uh, trying to take care of the orphan boy. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that thing. Yeah. terrible. <laughs> right, but this was... they. The Europeans had much more flavor when dealing with the same subject, similar subject. And I, I kind of liked this when I saw it years ago. I forgot the source. It was either something weird or sinister. May, I, I might say it was something weird. Enjoyable film. It's a small, quieter film. So it's a quieter, eddy performance. Of course, there's gangsters evolved. And so the whole crime milieu hangs around the edges of the movie. But it's really a sweet movie about this, you know, craggy, hard-nosed guy who finds himself willingly trying to protect this, this young woman. Uh, nice nice little movie. Not what you think it would be. So it's, it's a good, enjoyable little film. So, well, like I said, the next year, in 1957, he does The Grand Bluff, which is or The Big Bluff, uh, which is one of uh, at least two films he does for Patrice Daly, whoever that is. And it's probably a good reason I did two films with him, because I wrote, it's an awful old Hollywood screwball comedy sort of affair, where Eddie's a con artist and gambler who bullshits his way into staying in expensive hotels and having clueless staffers hand him money. Yes, I'd like that job. Uh, it's, it was <laughs> actually painful to sit through, and there's only one fist fight at the beginning, which he loses. So of all the Eddie Constantine films I sat through, uh, there's another one that I don't think I have notes for here, where he he was babysitting a really young girl, kind of like the Morton Salt girl, like that age. That mm. was really painful uh, as well. But basically, this is one of the very, very few Eddie Constantine films that I sat there and thought, oh, my God, <laughs> I feel screwed by this one. <laughs> so go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, this is one of those films where, uh, of course, it has credits for writer, director, etc. It's probably one of those movies where Eddie had more of a hand in. He's very successful at this time. Uh, three, four years into his film career, leading man. And so I'm sure he probably had a hand in the uh, the birth of this movie. And so the character he was playing, the characterization. So, yeah, Eddie is not so much the heroic type in this film. He's sort of a <sighs> flim-flam man, but harder gold, you know, so he, he he's not... Always comes comes across as a complete dick, but you know it's <laughs> it, it's a, it's an okay. I would say it's a fun film. I wouldn't put it at the height of my list, but it's certainly lesser than some of his better films. So uh, same year, he goes back to Bernard Bordery for Sedan uh, Preferant Le Mambo. The women prefer the Mambo, which was known over here as Dishonorable Discharge. Discharge. Yeah. Uh, Eddie's a sailor, complete with a Popeye the Sailor Man peacoat and cap, and a French-style barbershop pole striped shirt, uh, with a hophead girlfriend and no passport, who gets blackmailed by a sleazebag named Perez into piloting a bolt full of dynamite in more senses than one, manned by a bunch of rich flakes and a mutinous crew that have their names on their shirts, like the goons on the old Batman TV show, seriously. There's a dizzy blonde, a blowsy oversexed redhead, and a conniving brunette, all making a play for him, more backstabbing than a soap opera, 
and it's all about sunken treasure, or is it? Nope, it's drugs. One of Eddie's better Bogart spit takes. Again, I had this one bolded. It's one of the better ones. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and um, it's also a can. It's very similar to a movie where he plays Lemmy. Women are like that. Yes. For I don't know. Did they reuse scripts at some point or story <laughs> ideas? They may have. They made a lot of these movies. He made yeah. a lot of these movies, but uh, which which I actually like more. I, I like Women Are Like That a lot more. That's a, a fun, enjoyable film. Yeah, so he did several films now that I have not seen. There was three in 58. There was many, I think about five or six in 59. One of which was, as you mentioned, another Bernard Bordery, Comment Calais. Women are like that. Once again, he's let me caution. Unfortunately, unlike you, I had the reverse opinion. I didn't like this one as much. Um... Women are like that. Another early Lemmy caution. Again, it's a neo-noir. Not a lot happens beyond his romancing a middle-aged housefrau who dresses like your grandma and slips him on Mickey for good measure and a few terrible, chaotic nightclub scenes. Other than a pretty secretary who he barely interacts with and dies fast, this is a pretty dull and sedate one. On your coverage on the back of the film, you called it highly entertaining, but <laughs> maybe you were doubting a little bit before you wrote that one. <laughs> <laughs> So hey, hey, if you watch 60 of these pictures after a while... Yeah, you're going to have to. <laughs> some of them are really, really bad. Is, no, this is true, folks. If you, you look at the back of those DVDs or VHS boxes, you, know, you, you see my... Uh, from way, years way gone by. Oh, yeah. um, no, I watched every one of these movies. But you got every one of these movies. But you have to remember that if I've seen like 10 really bad films... It was my job to write up notes for these things, you know, of course. And then I saw one that was like, so you can imagine what the other ones were like. <laughs> this is people, anybody who's a fan of Third Eye Cinema, the monthly music roundups, this is what happens every month. I'm getting like 60 to 100 albums, EPs, singles from all these bands from all over the place. And some of them are fucking atrocious. And yes, I will slag them. I always do try to find some sort of a positive, even if it's just the production or, you know, one guy's playing okay, like the drummer's pretty good or whatever. But you hear one after the other, I'm like, oh my god, this sucks. Well, this one's better than that one, at least. Well, this one blows. Oh, okay, this one's fantastic. And by the time you hear one that's like halfway decent sometimes, like, wow, that's great. So you really, it, it's, you gotta kind of go by the fact that it's all relative to what you're listening to that month or what you're reviewing that day because you get through like maybe 12 albums in a day sometimes. So exactly like you said, it's, it's not necessarily, nothing is done in isolation. You don't just hear one album and that's it, you're done for the month. It's like, what else are you listening to and how good or bad are they and where does this compare against it? Well, I, I do recall, I, I like how this thing jogs my memory. I do recall sometimes having phone conversations with Mike uh, while I was working on this stuff because, you know, he needed some things. He needed a batch ready by a certain point. And I would call him and say, well, you know, somebody's really bad. <laughs> and I'm having a hard time. Or or I would say, Mike, uh the, the names on the prints, I don't know who the fuck these people are. And I'm, try, I'm trying to get you some information so you can print out. You know, like, George Global, Sammy Smart, you know, and <laughs> Anne Bustier. You know, people, these American distributors who bought these things for a dime and, and yeah. put they sold these to TV. A lot of times they cut these 80-minute movies down to 62 minutes, which is the other problem. And we're not even talking, like, pseudonyms, you know, with our favorite... Uh, Italian or German pictures, the French, uh, you know, the, it wasn't so much the French, it was the buyers of these French films. They were just notorious. You know, it's like, 
Daisy headlights. You know, so it was like, <laughs> no. We we got that one right, and you know, I was like, I'm trying to find like, who the hell is this? You know, is it worth it? This movie sucks. So <laughs> it, 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 it's it's there was a job. <laughs> And sometimes it is, you know, usually I love doing this criticism stuff, and sometimes it's like, wow. Especially when we were doing all the Vinegar Syndrome stuff, it's like, some of those freaking things. Especially, uh, not even the porns, because they were funny enough, and you could just always kind of knock something about them. Mm. But some of these ones that were supposed horror films that have been released like seven times already by, you know, anybody from Troma to VCI to Shout Factory or whoever the hell their predecessors were, BCI or whatever... And you're like, oh my god, I hated this thing the first time I saw it. I hated it the second time it came out. And here it is. Okay, they bolstered up the print somewhat. But then again, if you play it side by side with my DVD player with the upconvert, it looks better on a DVD than it did on a Blu-ray. So there was nothing to recommend. So yeah, and, I, and this, I this is this is for a show to come too. I uh, Mondo Maca- Mondo Digital. Mondo Maca- Sorry, Mondo <laughs> Digital is a really good review site for new DVDs, Blu-ray, genre-related stuff. And lately, he's been doing these comparison screenshots of the Arrow, let's say, the Arrow Blu-ray screenshots with a 15-year-old DVD. And the DVD looks better. I'm like, yes. I'm like, yeah, um, this DVD looks pretty good. These, these are the screenshots, man. I get the impression. I mean, nothing was ever said. It was just kind of all passive-aggressive. But I get the impression that's why they're not sending me stuff to review anymore from Vinegar Syndrome, because we kept getting these ones that were reissues. I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing much to say about this damn thing. I always hated it. Let's just pull a Tim Lucas and do a compare-contrast. And, okay, yeah, the time might have been a little bit longer. Some things might have been extra in there that they threw in. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times the new print failed compared to the original. So mm, what are you going to do? Speaking of Tim... Speaking of Tim, did you see we just did our Amicus show? And yes. we mentioned The Psychopath, and yes. I had no idea it came out. Yep. And uh, Tim did this lengthy uh, <sighs> reassessment. Yeah, reassessment of The Psychopath. He started out with a film I never really liked, but now it looks so good. Yeah, but if it, you know. But I, I, I think I said last time I, I enjoyed it. Back to Eddie. Yes. Uh, yeah, I made sure to point that one out to you. I'm like, hmm, okay, you might be interested that this is coming out or is out. So let's see. There's going to be a party. It was uh, the next one we're going to talk about. Sama Etz Tafet, which is exactly a direct translation, by a fellow named Pierre Montezel. Long, slow, and dull French crime-come-spy movie with Eddie as secret agent John Jarvis investigating the kidnapping of a fellow spy. There's way too much time with this romancing a born Simone Signore light blonde. Actually, I said Simone Signore light blonde. And a endless sequence where he's trapped in an airplane without a clue how to land. It's not the worst Eddie film by a long shot, but it's pretty bled best. So, what do you think about this one? Uh, it, it was okay. It's it's a. I thought it was an enjoyable time waster. There's a couple of Eddie movies. Keep talking, babies. One of them. Ladies' man is one of them. Where they're enjoyable, we start to get into a rut, and he doesn't really kick into gear until another two or three years after, where he he does quite a few really really fun movies. So uh, the next year, the second film he does actually 
is Mephesa Amwa. It means that much to me by uh, Pierre Grimblot. He's played someone named Eddie McAvoy. So uh, this is actually one of the ones I've all so I like this one. Eddie stars as Eddie McAvoy, a disgraced investigative reporter who somehow got involved with a diamond robbery. During one of his reporting jobs, he gets blackmailed into smuggling some microfilm and a pack of cigarettes, running afoul of fascists, spies, mobsters, and ostensibly the pigs along the way, though the latter are never seen. He gets involved with a pretty girl who claims to be a dancer and ex-ballerina, but she's clearly full of it as she doesn't even know point and moves around like a 60-year-old housewife. At least we know she's Euro trash because she doesn't shave her pits. Uh, she claims four weirdos are stalking her as intro and they do pop up to stare them right in the face when they're having what passes for an introspective chat in an Eddie Constantine film <clears throat> in the lifeboats uh, <laughs> in other words he was making out with her folks but they really seem to be after Eddie just like everyone else in the cast he throws a fit when she won't give him any on the first date and starts punching out and popping balloons his handoff goes wrong the mob sends some goons his way and everyone's following him and it all comes to a big standoff between the various factions during an awful Spanish street performance where the entirety of the lyrics are a Ego repeated ad nauseum. Sounds just like a pop radio hit nowadays. All it needs is auto-tune. Eddie's more two-fisted than usual. So, what's your take? Um, I agree with you. I, I couldn't say anything different about that. So, <laughs> no, it's 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 fun. Uh, so, next same year, the name of Guy LaFranc does Keep Talking Baby, which you had mentioned. So, this is another one I bolted off. So, it's a good one. Starts off good with Eddie as some ventriloquist named Jackson, who is falsely accused and sent to jail. When he escapes and tries to clear his name, the baddies start offing everyone he talks to. He winds up finding the last living eyewitness who almost ruins the film, this is what I was talking about before, by being a six-year-old girl in a party dress. Eddie does worse ventriloquism than Waylon Flowers, clearly moving his <laughs> lips when he talks for a dummy, and gets all fatherly with the kid while trying to clear his name. <laughs> That's a reference for anybody that joined us, Waylon Flowers and Madam. The guy, I mean, for some reason, he just stood out there in front on camera, and he wouldn't even try. He was just like standing there talking for the, the puppet. At least in Hollywood squares, and when they had Madam's family, believe it or not, he did our show. They hid him behind a couch or under the table. <laughs> uh, so anyway... The head daddy has a smoking hot girlfriend that enlivens matters considerably. Good God, this woman is hot to trot with a body to match. I was surprised she was French. She actually looks like a cross between Dahlia Lavi and Sophia Loren. To everyone's surprise, the kid angle is actually underplayed, which I didn't remember, so it was actually why it was a good one. With a lot more action and two-fisted detective noir than Schmaltz, and that awful three men and a baby crap that Midwesterners seem to love so damn much. Actually a very good Eddie vehicle. What's your take? Uh, my take, again, not too dissimilar from yours. It's it's an enjoyable film. And, I, yeah, I kind of like that the uh, – it's not too schmaltzy where it could have been. Yeah, you know, they kind of underplayed that. And, uh, yeah, that girl is smoking hot. It's funny. I, I wanted to note that Eddie was married between 42 and 76 to the same yes. woman. So he was – he stayed with her. So he uh, – it was a role he played, you know, and uh, – you know, more power to him. You know, he he did this pretty good. You know, he played the guy who the women loved, and he he uh, loved him right back. <laughs> he no, he loved him right back. You know, I, I, I like I like uh, I like a lot of uh, dick swinging movie stars of the '60s and '70s and '80s. You know, who got in trouble because they couldn't say no. <laughs> Uh, no, Eddie was really good at this, and I have to assume that he stayed with this woman all his time. So uh, she was with him before he moved to, to uh, Europe. Now, I've not written a book on Eddie, and I don't know him personally or anyone in his family, so I have to assume everything was copacetic at home, unless she was fine and she stayed in L.A. while Eddie was banging chicks all over Europe. I mean, that's possible, <laughs> too. 
you just love when I come up with that stuff, don't you? Yes, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's that's quite possible too. Hi, Eddie. How are you? I'm fine. So hold on. <laughs> you know, you hear the glasses clinking. Clink. What's that? Nothing. Um, so. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm, I'm just assuming his home life was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, in uh, 19... Let's see. Okay, so in 1962, next year, he does one, a big head on Gross Tête. I have not seen that one. Where he's Napoleon Naps Dubois. This is worth mentioning just for that ridiculousness. He was a cameo in The Seven Deadly Sins. And then he works on Lemmy Pour la Dame. Lemmy for the ladies. Ladies, man. Absolutely nothing happens. Lemmy drinks a lot. He hangs with an old fat guy who has a hot wife half his age, flirts ineffectually with several girls, and gets in a few fights, but there's really no plot. So what's your take on this one? Yeah, this seems to be this seems to be an under an undercooked Lemmy script that they, they went to shoot with and I found it problematic because you know, so many of the films are enjoyable on different levels. You know, some of them are not as good as others, some are better than others. And this was one where a couple of years into his career, they're trying to make Eddie's Lemmy Caution character like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not embraceable to women, like women love this guy, you know? And, yeah. and so he's playing up. I think it's, I think maybe he was spoofing the image in this picture. It's possible. Yeah, you know, hard drinking. He smoked about five packs of cigarettes in this movie. Uh, <laughs> A lot of asides, a lot of breaking the the fourth wall, was yep. it? Yeah, and more than fights. usual, a lot of fights. It's just it's pulp entertainment, and um, he's done better. But as I as I mentioned earlier, he then goes in for a kill with like three really fun movies. So uh, actually, next up, he did another cameo in uh, Anis Varda's Cleo from Five to Seven. Uh, I always enjoyed Varda's films does several films that I have not seen over the next year and a half. And then in 1963, he does La Femme d'Abord, Ladies First for Raoul André. Eddie ignores a gorgeous Japayuki Eurasian and a cute redhead who does the twist with barbells. Prepare those hospital beds now in favor of a homely Mrs. Howell lookalike. <laughs> hey, Lavi. Uh, he's FBI man Bobby Corral. She's involved in a murder case, and they're both pursued by two thugs across the French border. But everyone winds up playing Uber without the paycheck when the Surete dump a gaggle of irate tourists on any passing car. This is serious, too. They, they actually wind up at the border, and the cops actually force people. Okay, how many of you got space in your car? You know, we got a couple of tourists standing here. Throw them in the back of your car. And they had to drive them across the border. I don't know what that was all about. Then things go totally Benny Hill. Another weird French mix of comedy and crime come espionage, but more fun than some of the earlier Lemmy Caution films, I guess. So, what's your take? Uh, I know I saw this film, and I did have notes about it, but I was unable to find it recently to review it again for this show, so I, I have to skip this one because I know I just can't remember. So the second one that he does is actually uh, for a Spanish fellow, Jose Luis Monter. It's Tela de Arena. As if it were raining. Mm, uh, Eddie's some weirdo with a restless leg syndrome and a thing for organ grinder chimps who walks around town with a giant gourd. Not kidding you. Uh, he gets into a sissy slap fight with Jackie Mason, who almost beats him. Uh, he then leaves his precious gourd on the street. He's an ad exec turned field writer who ends up working as a hired thug. Uh, yeah, figure that career path. It gets convoluted and noir-esque fast, but a badly choreographed fight with two fat thugs where he dodges them like a bullfighter is just plain ridiculous. In the end, a fucking chimp 
Hope saves the day, and Eddie's much younger girlfriend develops restless leg syndrome just like him. Oh, what's your take? <laughs> well, I, I think this one was a Spanish production, and yes. uh, you know, I guess at this point Eddie's like, okay, I'll, I'll work with you, and just to see. But I think they probably because this, you know, I'm sure the French pictures were were shown in, in you know in the uh, Spanish countries, and uh, so they probably did pretty well. So they work with him. He's working with them, but I don't think they had a handle on what to do with him. Yeah. And whether we, it's quite possible we lost a lot in the translation or the dubbing into English. This is a bit of a mess, but a fun mess because yeah. it's it's so ridiculous you can only smile at it. And exactly. You know. it's, it's it's not one of the ones I bolded, but it's not a piece of shit. It's just you know kind of middling yeah. entertainment. So next up, it was the next one I had to talk about was Your Turn, Darling, which is yet mm. another Bernard Borderade. Once again, it's Let Me Caution. This is a good one. Let Me Caution is pulled in on the kidnapping of a scientist. The women, two decent-looking blondes, the better of whom looks rather Miranda Richardson by way of Emma Thompson and a gorgeous brunette, are damn sight better looking than usual, and he's not afraid to deck them like they were men. <laughs> Caution taunts his prohibition advocate boss with his booze-houndedness over and over. There's a cat fight that ends with one getting a beating with a belt from her partner and X while the other throws on some music and smiles, so it's a little sadistic. And Lemmy gets trussed up and stuffed in a wicker basket to mail to his boss before turning the tables and doing the same to his captor. There's a lot of weird humor. Princess phones, girl who looks like a young Joan Collins until she goes goth at the end and overdoes it with a Morticia Adams eyeshadow, and lives in a stunning estate complete with stained glass mosaic windows and turn-of-the-century antiques and plenty of politically incorrect cross-gender two-fistedness and double crosses. What's not to love? Oh, I really like this one. This is this is definitely they were all, everybody was on point and yeah. it definitely one of the better Eddie Lemmy caution films. A lot of fun. It's got a lot. It's a, it's it's like they took a blender and they said, uh, "Oh, we're gonna add a little bit of this. We're gonna add a little bit of that." And you know, since we're, we're, we're 64, 65 now, 1964, 65, and we have to acknowledge they're changing mores in society. So let's have girls kick the shit out of each other and. Uh, <laughs> And that that was a little sexy, a little savvy, a little stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like this one a lot. Yeah, you didn't mention you did not mention two films, unless you're going to get to the second, where he played a, a secret agent, and they were kind of Bondy and not for the usual production crew either. Uh, oh, the Jeff Gordon person. Yeah, that's yeah. Roy Andre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was um, De Frisson Partout which is Jeff Gordon's secret agent, there was a video store on Broadway back in the day called Blowout Video. And French films and Japanese movies used to turn up there on the walls occasionally. Talking pre-records, folks, for like $5. And it was uh, shrink-wrapped. And I was like, where did these things come from? And I found the the two Jeff Gordon movies here. And uh, I had them for many years. And... uh, very strange movies because now Eddie's 10 years older mm-hmm. and they're acknowledging the Bond films and the success of the Bond films. One of the films, one of the Jeff Gordon C. Granger movies had Eddie investigating stolen nukes on a budget, of course, but they're a step up from the Lemmy, Nick Carter type movies where they're very contained in, in their world and this was trying to be Bonding on a budget, uh, lots of fight scenes and the uh, lots of fast cars in that one. I mean, we, they, they, I think they tried to step out a little bit with those two pictures. Unfortunately, I have yet to see any English language version of these two pictures. 
Yeah, I haven't seen either one of them, but they sound good. <laughs> so right, I'd like to see it. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of fun. Yeah. So anybody that's out there listening, uh, if you're interested in Eddie Constantine, definitely you know, get on the stick, throw those guys out. You know, Even if it's one of these Sinister Cinema-type jobs, find us an English print or a subtitle or something, and there you go. I know just recently they put out those OSS-117 films, which yeah. I was not expecting to see. That was like, what? Where the hell did that come from? Unfortunately, they came out from, I think, Kino. Who's, this is a lot of interesting stuff. But what they did was... They subtitle them all in white subtitles that are kind of right in the middle of a lot of bright uh, earlier films with black and white. So you can't always make out what the hell they're saying. Uh, obviously, otherwise they're all in French. Uh, so that was a disappointment. But, you know, it's still, I was surprised to see them. So you never know. Maybe somebody will get out there and throw up these any Yeah, you know, about that set, I was like, what? Really? Yeah, exactly. And the prints not only look good, but it's like, hello? These, there's English language versions of these things all over the fucking place. You, could, you couldn't put on an alternate English language print? Come on. Exactly. Right. I don't care if it was lesser quality. And it's so nice to have the French version. Yeah, I agree with you about the subs. But you couldn't get an English language print? Come yeah. on. I but, actually prefer watching the dubs on a lot of these older films. Uh, Unlike with anime. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> well, well I, hope, I hope it's sold well. I know I have it. Uh, yeah, have, uh, so maybe they'll do more of these. Let's hope. So uh, next up, after a couple of other films, he does one for an Henri de Quamp, Nick Carter Vatu Casse, License to Kill. It's an mm. entertaining spy film. I actually have it bolded with Eddie as Nick Carter. Uh, those of you who know the Nick Carter series, like what Nick Carter? Uh, most of it is Nick at a friend's house trying to protect him from, then investigate his death and dealing with two hippies living in the house. But then a hot Asian spy and her goons get involved. There's a fun fight at a construction site at the end. Oh, was that Yoko Tani that was in this? I think so. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I had a thing for Yoko Tani. Yeah. Uh, I can hear it. Up. It's a, it's a fun movie, and and it's this is again this is at the cusp of the uh, you know the sixties the middle part of the decade when mores were changing, uh, attitudes were changing toward a lot of things, and uh, other movies the violence was becoming more apparent inherent. Unfortunately, this would only point to Eddie had about another two or three years of these type of movies in him before he settled into a, a different kind of career altogether as an actor. But uh, I enjoyed this a lot, and this is one of the last, if, if we could say classic Eddie Constantine kind of movies. I agree. And actually, this would be uh, the last one, more or less. And there's an argument you can make here. But Pete um, Beaujeu, Mesdames, a.k.a. Fou Avalon, which is Make Your Bets, Ladies, uh, also known as Fire at Will. From uh, Marcel Ophels. Not Max Ophels, but Marcel Ophels. Don't ask me. Another one that I had bolded, so it's decent. Eddie is Agent Mike Warner, who's apparently a half-assed tennis pro. Watch him barely win a match. <laughs> Swing along the overhead ladder in a low-rent gym. Watch a loser beat a palooka in a rigged boxing match with the help of a special knockout ring. And play the violin masterfully without moving his fingers. Uh, see Eddie in zombie makeup after a greenhouse explosion. Watch Eddie fight his way through a butcher shop and slaughterhouse and manage to escape getting cremated in an oven. Shades of jury cotton there. He picks up a girl with a twisted hip and gives her a milk bath while his loser pal overworks his special ring and calls a hick in the Stetson a racist. Talk about stereotyping. Uh, there's another sort of hot girl named Soledad who's prone to black thigh highs and getting in cat fights. A fun early Eurospar with some MacGuffin nonsense about a man-hating female gang boss, but it's too disjointed, low-rent, and silly to take any of it seriously. But I did like this film a lot. 
I think I think you actually probably like this one more than I did. Um, I don't know why this one never really worked for me. Uh, not not entertaining. That's actually what I meant to say. It's not not entertaining. It's just there. You know, it's it's time passer. I like so many of the other Eddie movies more than this one. Now he actually goes more or less right from that into what is amounts to his second Jean-Luc Godard uh, collaboration, but obviously his most famous. And I really can't agree with why. I know some people out there, you know, if like Tim Lucas is listening, I know he's a huge fan of this one. He's talked about it many times, compares a lot of other movies to it. Uh, where every time Eddie Constantine comes up, this film comes up. Whew. Well, it's Alphaville. Um... What I wrote is, totally fucked up Godard film that takes vague conceits of the typical Eddie Constantine film, some quirky 60s sci-fi feel, and drops the budget considerably. I think there's about six people in the entire cast, one of whom turns out to be none other than Howard Vernon, but he's kind of wasted and only shows up near the end. The best part of all this, beyond Eddie and Howard's personal charisma, is that it's a message about the importance of the arts and human aspiration in a soulless world run by commerce and utilitarianism, a message that went unheeded given the other inability of anyone but the interchangeable faces attached to a by-the-numbers corporate bullshit pop music to make a living as a musician, poet, artist, or what have you nowadays. So obviously his plans did not work here. Interesting in concept and choice of location, Godard was too poor to actually build sets, but boring and overly artsy-fartsy. My wife enjoyed most of the Eddie films, but she hated this one, so I think that should say it all. So, what's your take? This is a tough one. Uh, well, Jean-Luc Godard is a master filmmaker for a variety of reasons. Coherency is not one of them. Actually, <laughs> Bre- Breathless is one of his better films, actually. Yeah. I always yeah. enjoyed that. And, uh, actually, the one uh, I like a lot, we mentioned during the Bardot show, was uh, Contempt, Limit Pre. Yeah, yeah, Again, yeah. disjointed, but a good film. Yeah, but this is entirely different. I hate to say it. Different kettle of fish. It's like, okay, so we're talking about 65, and in three years, Kubrick would make 2001. This is to mm-hmm. give you a perspective. This film predates that by two or three years. Suddenly, cinema, huge leaps and bounds are artistic visions of things. And we're going to discuss something like this when we talk about Radley Metzger coming up soon. Alphaville is a almost scripted stream of conscious film mm-hmm. about place and time. I think a lot of it has to do with spatial S-P-A-T-I-A-L spatial uh, movement within the universe that he pegged this actor who we're discussing t- in tonight's show and his most well-known creation to walk through this and to be present is very interesting. So, like, Godard is obviously watching this man's career. He's watching he's watching this man's movies. But he decides to paint a, a, uh, a sort of like a – who was the crazy painter? Uh, uh, one? There's a lot of them. <laughs> the, the crazy – Just up Klimt. <laughs> Clint Snow, uh, Edward Munch, uh, Salvador Dali. Dali, okay, yes. So he paints a Dali-esque portrait, let's say, you know, uh, on film, of this world of espionage and science fiction. And Eddie's films were never really sci-fi, you know, very, really. But he throws this actor and this role, this character, into this sci-fi-esque kind of film 
with a lot of weird fucking dialogue pontificating over this and that and that and this. Yep. It's very, very interesting, but at the same time, it's it's sleep-inducing as well, in a way. Yeah, I mean, even putting it like you did, I'm thinking last year at Mariam Bob, which has its own problems, but still a much more interesting film. Again, another favorite of uh, Tim Lucas, you know, Alan Robe but I prefer, I can understand what Rob Grillet is doing. Here it was like, all right, yeah, I kind of know what he was doing. I mentioned it before about the whole point of the film uh, on one level anyway. But it's just like, I don't know. I mean, even for somebody that, as a teenager, my big thing was, what do you like? Well, I like the French Nouvelle Vogue. Who are your favorite directors? Louis Buñuel. I mean, you know, this was kind of my shtick back when. That was who I was into. That was what I watched. And, you know, back in the days of Channel 13, when they actually used to show things that anybody wanted to see, and it wasn't just like a, a Stonewall 24-7 uh, gay rights channel where it became. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, all right, whatever you like, that's, that's props to you. But it, it just kind of became a marginalized channel after a bit. But at this time in history, they were showing a lot of art house film, a lot of opera, a lot of what have you. Uh, it was a much more interesting and well-rounded channel. And... That's where I discovered a lot of this stuff. That's where I was watching things like Swept Away, which, again, still is one of my favorite films. And even loving all this stuff as much as I did, Godard always escaped me, the appeal, other than the one film he did with Bardot, which is very, very strange for a Bardot film as well. None of his stuff really resonated with me. I mean, 25 by 5, the Stones film, okay. It's watchable as a documentary of the Stones during a certain period. But, Mm. you know, you may or may not prefer Cocksucker Blues, which, you know, technically went unreleased. You know, in terms of just his other films were like, eh... Really? You know, okay, there's no masculine feminine where Bardot's there in a cafe for five minutes. So it's like, okay, you watch that and then shut it off after she walks off screen or disappears from screen. Uh, you know, he was not my idea of a great director, much less of good new wave director. And this was kind of case in point of that. He's like, yeah, I guess for a Godard film, it's probably one of his better ones, but that's not saying a hell of a lot. I'm sorry. So anything else you wanted to throw in? Uh, we'll probably be burning the steak for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know Tim's frothing at the mouth right now, preparing a draft response. <laughs> we love you. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah for, much yeah. respect. <laughs> <laughs> Just because we disagree. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, next up, he uh, probably makes a wise decision and goes back to more genre film, if you will. And he does one for Raul Levy, which was Hail Mafia. I have not indulged this one. I know you had recommended it highly, but I just can't get past the trailer. It just looks too dull. Oh. So go ahead. Tell me about this one. Uh, This is Eddie Constantine. Until... There's a lot of films I do not see. But until his powerhouse moments in The Longer Friday, this is Eddie Constantine's... One of his best film acting roles ever I mean tremendous film tremendous film okay so basically Raul Andre directed this movie now please don't snicker it's Henry Silva and Jack Klugman yes that Jack Klugman <laughs> it's a road film yep so what it is is Henry and Jack work for the mob and I have to describe this one folks although we uh, although we said uh, in previous shows, we try not to do it since a very few of you have seen this. You got to see this movie, so I'm going to tell you why. So Henry Silver and Jack Klugman, very serious movie. They work for the mob, and they they're going to go on a road trip because they got to kill this guy. 
this guy used to work for the mob Jack's best friend Jack Klugman's best friend Eddie Constantine they think well the mob thinks Eddie snitched on them and Eddie's went away in, into hiding so these two guys they're driving and you know Henry Silver is like hey yo yo what you gotta do and Jack Clemens like nah he's, he's spending the movie trying to talk Henry Silver out of it look we gotta let him go I'm sure I've known this man for years blah 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 so they they, they have a weird give and take and, and actually everybody Jack Clemens fucking great in this movie it's, it's it's really a good film. Yeah, and then, they, of course, they get to Eddie, and then there's a lot of surprises. And it's it's a, it's a, a spear, brutal, well-scripted movie. Everybody's did their own dialogue dubbing. And I was like, what is this film? How come more people have not seen this movie? I, it's like, when I first saw it years ago, I was like, what is this? It still stays with me. Great performances all around, and and Eddie's screen time, really good. He threw himself into this. I think he knew what they were doing with this movie, and this is on the cusp of the Euro crime films starting too. You know, Italy, France, that whole thing. So it really fits in really good with that whole genre that we discussed before that we both like. And mm-hmm. I can't say enough good things about Hail Mafia. So uh, next up, he does two for Jess Franco of all people. One of which uh, resins for spies, and one cards on the table, cards book out Riva, Attack of the Robots. Now, I've only been able to see one of them, which was Attack of the Robots, but I did like it a lot. Another uh, one I was bolded. Jess Franco's Al Perriera, but it's really just a typical Eddie Constantine Lemmy Caution affair. Glasses bedecked, pleather jumpsuit sporting Don Trump slash John Boehner style orange skin bottle tan types, who we are told are dark like a mulatto until they die and return to being white. Don't dig for subtext here. You'll just upset yourself. Uh, serve as robot zombie assassins to a sexy countess and her old man beau, Fernando Rey. Perriera, a gambling, drinking, hard-living agent type, gets pulled into an international conspiracy to recruit typo blood-sporting folks for the robot role, or to get the secret of making these mindless killing machines for their own nation's nefarious purposes. There's a touch of Sax Romer and the very fake Chinese opiumatic slash warlord who gives Perriera a flare gun that shoots Chinese characters into the sky. Wow, how'd they do that? And a whole a lot of sub-bond Eurospy business. There's uh, even a bit of an M-like check-out-these-gadgets scene, one of which saves the day at the end of the film. But it's far closer to a typical French crime-oriented Eddie Constantine film, especially the Lemmy Caution ones, and most especially in all the sci-fi business, both looks forward to the Sumeru films and slightly backwards to Alphaville. If anything, Attack of the Robots is Alphaville done right, without the pretentious head so far up his own ass he can never find his way back to daylight, hand of Jean-Luc Godard, it becomes a pulpy, slightly gritty, and unexpectedly sensual experience, complete with two full patented Jess Franco strip bar sequences, and a female lead slash villainess who's hardly subtle about her attempts to seduce Perriera every time they meet. Good stuff. So what's your take? Oh, I, I always really enjoyed this one. I really liked it. I forgot who put this out on VHS back in the day? It wasn't. It wasn't sinister, and no. it wasn't something weird. It was an actual company that was short-lived too. But the print was really nice and rich. The blacks were black, the whites were white. Really nice print. It's. It's. I. I still recall some of its odd Sadian film moments in this. Very. Uh, Fernando Sancho's in this, isn't he? Yes. Yes. As he gets thrown into the water off the boat. That's right. Just Franco, uh, frequent uh, 
character actor. He was the Vic Diaz of Franco movies. Well, not just uh, Franco, it's spaghetti westerns. He was in yeah, the spaghetti yeah. and pioneer westerns. That's true, that's true. And it's it just, it just also had creepy moments, too. I remember, I remember that. A lot of creepy moments in this movie. I liked it. And the unfortunate thing is the one after it, Eddie did two back-to-back for Franco, which I, I saw, and I had, a, I had a print of it. And it was in color. This one was always in black and white. I've never seen a color version of this. But Residence for Spies was really bad. Probably why we've never seen an English language version, ever. And why we've never seen a good print. The only print I was able to find was, like, not great. And it's bad. Eddie looks bad. Maybe he was ill during the filming of that. Or, I don't know, maybe... Because it's in color. One of the first Eddie Constantine films I can remember seeing in color. And maybe they didn't know how to do the makeup of Eddie to make him look good. You know, because he photographed gray and black and white. But, uh... Yeah, so we, in other words, it's mm. the nightmares come at night of sold at Miranda films in terms of uh, any Constantine films. <laughs> yes, I guess, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a little bit more, I'm surprised, too, that we've not seen it, but never say never, because it's also a little bit ambitious for Franco movie. You know, Eddie, Eddie's running around, throwing himself around, lots of fisticuffs. He's another agent. I saw in one place he's listed as Dan Layton, I couldn't tell you. It's been so long since I've seen it. Uh, it's, but it's also investigating stolen nukes. You know that big Bondian trope that's going on at this time. This, this time period. Right. So Not from great... here on out, mm-hmm. he stops doing the uh, prototypical Eddie Constantine film, and this is kind of where I drift off. So you'll probably have more information. Things that I noticed that were interesting, besides his usual round table of directors that he keeps going back to, he keeps circling back to Raul Andre, John Berry, Raymond Labossier, even Agnes Varda, he does another one called Lion's Love there, he walks on. He starts doing things like, he did one for Rainier Werner Fassbinder, Beware of a Holy Whore. Uh, he does one for Uli Lamo, which was uh, Hayabo, I don't even know what these are. He does Raid on Entebbe, the TV movie from the 70s, uh, which I remember seeing as a kid. Uh, he does It Lives Again for uh, Larry Cohen, believe it Larry or not. Larry Cohen, yeah. I do remember that one. I mean, I have the, this wonderful little set they put out years ago where they put all three of them on the same disc for, God knows, for five bucks or something. The Third Generation, another Fastbinder one. Uh, back in 87, he does something called Freckled Max and the Spooks for a uh, fellow named Jiraj Jacobisco. No idea what that is, but great title. <laughs> and then The Return of Lemmy Caution for Jose Dion. Uh, which was a TV movie in 89. He must have looked horrible by then. Europa for Lars von Trier, and uh, Germany 90 Year Zero for Godard at the very end of his career. Uh, he also did a Japanese film, Tokyo no Kyujitsu for Naoki Nagao. But that's all I saw here, and I have not actually seen most of these films, as I mentioned. So uh, what's your take on any of these? Anything you want to cover there? Well, I think at some point in time, uh, you know, I can't speak for Eddie. I didn't know Eddie. I, again, information, even in today's Internet age on Eddie Constantine, it's difficult to find. You have to dig, dig, dig. But I think that this is at the, he decided to probably start acting his age, no mm-hmm. pun intended, because by, you know, he's now mid-50s, 60s, you know, uh, and he started taking, yeah, like you said, you know, Raina Werner, first, uh, Fastbinder, and Herz, uh, not Herzog, but, you know, of that ilk, people, you know, people of that ilk, uh, directors, you know. And Eddie's pretty much in Germany now during his time period. He's based yeah. in Germany, living in Germany, um, probably 
spoke fluent German. And he would do the occasional variety show, which I found interesting. I did find this. He would do the occasional German variety show as a guest star, like show up and sing one of his hits from the 50s, you know, one of his one of his hit songs. So, you know, I'm sure he kind of sauntered on there like an aging Frank, you know, and just mm-hmm. like, is it funny? So, you know, you know, <laughs> um, he would do odd pictures, like you said, at small roles, too. Small roles. Yeah, the Radon and Tebby is a big one because that, that was international co-production. Mm-hmm. Car Napping was a movie I really wanted to see, and once I saw it, I was kind of disappointed. I, I spent so much energy trying to track it down from 1980. It's a French-German film uh, where he played a policeman after a, a criminal. This is post-Euro crime. You know, it's like when that whole thing pretty much died out and... Uh, he plays a, a doctor and who lives again. You mentioned that to Larry Cohen. I really enjoyed him in The Long Good Friday. Powerhouse role there. Powerhouse performance. Aged Eddie. Still looking good, though. He plays, uh, you know, that's the movie with Bob Hoskins. And Bob Hoskins is this cockney ball of energy who is rising through the ranks. You know, like the, the British version of The Godfather, in a way. Yeah. And, and he's rising through the ranks. And, he, you know, he's, he's a hood from the street. And he's, you know, he's just doing everything wrong because he, he's too quick-tempered, ill-tempered as well. And he starts fucking up, and they bring Eddie in as a, as a, the old-time Godfather type, and to come in and talk some sense into him. And then when he realizes what's going on with Bob Hoskins' character, it just points the film into a direction that it can't go around. You know, it's it's a very good role. It's a very, it's a brief role. It's it's longer than a cameo, but it's really interesting. Did I see any of these other things? You know what's interesting? We did a Jerry Cotton show, and there was a comedic version of a Jerry Cotton type show. Uh, I think it was seventy nine to eighty three. I only recently found that out, and it was called Cotton Ermitelt. And Lemmy showed up in two episodes in eighty three. Uh, sorry, Eddie as Lemmy. Let me caution. So, I don't know, how old was he then? But yeah. uh, that was pretty much it. And as you mentioned, toward the end of his career, it's just uh, all that, like a dart film, Germany, year 99-0. I did see that, where he played Let Me Caution. And that's why it's, it's actually worse than Alphaville, <laughs> because it's, it's, let me say this, it's like he walks through a landscape sort of like Alphaville but now it's much more bleaker and, and we see an aged Eddie Constantine walking through and in a way it's a bit sad it's very strange um, and it was sad enough in Alphaville so I can picture like 20 years on 20 years on right and and I'm not sure if the drinking or the smoking uh, contributed to anything but he died relatively at 79. You know, it's not that old, but he had a heart attack at 79. He looked much, if you see on the internet photographs of Eddie Constantine, he looked much older than his years, actually. Yeah. So, um, anything else you wanted to say about Eddie or his films or his his music or? Um, just that uh, he was like a, an unsung, maybe forgotten prototype for uh, action films as we knew it and he was sort of like hidden but the guy had so much body of work and uh, very original singer you know a guy probably hard in his luck 
and he was a singer. He went to, he went to Europe. He made it as a composer. He made it as a singer. He <laughs> rubbed noses with Edith Piaf, <laughs> got into the film business, and was very successful as a two-fisted cigarette smoking booze swinging chick magnet. So there you go. So uh, short pause. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room cat on Eddie Constantine and the Let Me Caution films, among others. So next time, at the very dawn of the 1960s, a then-typically anonymous book of erotica appeared on the shelves of the more specialized and discreet booksellers and bodegas of Paris. Generally considered to be autobiographic fiction, Emmanuel was penned by a Thai expat writing under the pen name of Emmanuel Arsan. While the book was later widely reattributed to her French husband, Emmanuel was an amazing novel, rivaled only by Pauline Réage's Story of O and the works of Saad as a quintessentially French admixture of hot erotica and decadent philosophy, taking the swinging suburban roulette shtick to both exotic locales and thoughtful intellectual extremes in a way seldom seen since the heyday of decadence like Oisman, Mirbeau, and Rachild. Finding its audience and influence greatly expanded upon the release of Jeff Jakins' groundbreaking 1974 co-celeb of a film adaptation, Orson herself took the helm for the quite similar Annie Bell feature, Laura, handling both scripting and direction, and even making one of her rare appearances on screen therein. But even more importantly, from such humble beginnings, sprang a plethora of sequels, offshoots, variants, and oddities that span more than a decade, inclusive of a number of related series that span the globe, from its strongholds in France and Italy, to entries hailing from Greece, the UK, the US, and even so far afield as Japan and China. So join us as we wend our way through the tangled skein of 70s softcore cinema, as we take on a fictionalized quote-unquote true story of a swinging couple come Saudi and philosophy treatise, or is that globetrotting photographer come adventurous? The woman that changed and defined a decade, Emmanuel, your choice of one or two M's. So next time it's Io Emmanuel. So uh, if you'd like to join us here, contact us, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, like to join us on air, drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1. Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Line, brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. So uh, anything else you want to say, or... Just no, see uh, you next week. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, we always appreciate people who listen. And please, uh, as my co-host just mentioned, do write to us. Tell us whether you hated or liked the show, <laughs> or whether you liked or hated the show. And uh, we don't want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to hear from you if you're a big fan of Jean-Luc Godard. No, no just don't. <laughs> Don't even go there. We only want to hear from Sines. True Sines. No, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. <laughs> um, yes, we hope. I really do hope you enjoyed the Eddie Constantine show. Uh, and you know, based on on response, which I hope will be positive, we might pull out other oddities like this uh, over the years. We'll see. Yes, my co-host also made the Emmanuel show, which is next sounds so cerebral but it's not it's gonna be really sleazy so <laughs> uh there's no way around that but but you did a very good job at it. that should be a thesis there you go <laughs> like you said last week what, that's what we are decadent philosophers <laughs> or, or as Saad put it philosophy in the boudoir <laughs> i like that that's a decadent philosophers of podcast i like that I there we go we should be titled the show <laughs> All right, please join us next week, and we hope you enjoyed this one. Good night. Cheers.
Every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the comedian, the career, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, and television. 
more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Here today, gone. Today? The pace of change can be confusing. Then again, it can be inspiring. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you build the self-confidence and decision-making skills it takes to thrive on change. Fight change with change. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go.